Are the Yankees primed to get back to their consistent winning ways? Do the Mets need a life raft? And separation in the AL and NL Central? All the latest in baseball, including a weird 2023 schedule that hasn't sunk in after 24 hours? Do I have to talk about Tom Brady again? We can thank UFC Chairman Dana White for this as we're two weeks away from the start of the NFL season. A Kevin Durant sighting in Brooklyn. How the Nets hashed it out with their superstar player. The final week of August has arrived and so is the latest edition of your favorite little sports podcast. It's all coming up. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc., All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please, throw me a few stars, write a review, it will go a long way into getting the word out, even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media, I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's feeling well, doing fantastic and excellent spirits. Now we could start counting the days till September as we're just seven days away from flipping the calendar. But don't, I repeat, don't buy that pumpkin spice latte just yet. There's still some warm weather that lies ahead and plenty of heat that I'll deliver over the course of the next hour as I address some of today's sports headlines as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Right out of the gate, An apology, as you may hear some white noise in the background, a little bit of a hum. No, I'm not in an airport hangar. No, I'm not in a subway station. I happen to be near an AC vent, which is just blasting cool air. It is a little bit warm here in the Northeast as we're getting through the rest of this month. So once again, I do apologize if you do hear that every so often while I gather my thoughts and there may be some silence in the background. That may come through your earbuds or speakers, but nevertheless... I am coming crystal clear through this microphone and I'm sure into your earbuds and speakers. So once again, my apologies for any inconvenience or for the distraction in the background. Quite a few things to get to. NBA, Kevin Durant and the net brass kiss and makeup. Much ado about nothing when you think about it. How do they get to this point? Not only that, but how are they going to move forward with their superstar player and with another dynamic that needs to be ironed out as well, Kyrie Irving. I will share my thoughts on that later on, as well as what's happening in the NFL as we're just two weeks away from the start of the season. And yes, Tom Brady back in the news again. 
But not to his fault. We can thank Dana White for that because during the UFC bout on Saturday, he happened to divulge a conversation that he had with Tom Brady where he looked like he was ready to sign with the Las Vegas Raiders. And Rob Gronkowski, who was part of that telecast, as the separate cast, similar to what you've seen with K-Rod, Michael K, and Alex Rodriguez, and of course Eli and Peyton last year on the Monday Night Football telecasts, well, he confirmed that Brady could have been Vegas-bound two years ago. But really? Now? Why? You know I got two cents to throw in when it comes to that. Also... NHL, there was a signing that I didn't touch on Monday when it comes to Nas Kadri, the Colorado Avalanche player who took his talents north of the border to Calgary. But really what bothers me is the New York Islanders and how this offseason has just been a flat-out disaster. So yes, I am a few days late on that, but you know I'm going to have to voice my displeasure over that scenario. But we'll start off here. With the baseball, as we now start to get into focus and zero in on the final six weeks of the season. When you think about it, six weeks from now, the regular season will be over and we'll be preparing for a wild card round, which will be best two out of three. And the wild card is still yet to be determined. Not to say that that's going to be drama filled down the stretch of this baseball season. Because as we've talked about it ad infinitum, the divisions are pretty much written in stone when you're the AL East, the NL West, as well as the AL West. The NL East needs to be hashed out, and we'll touch on that in a bit. And even the AL and NL Central, you're starting to see some separation where the Guardians don't have a sizable lead, but considering that it's been tooth and nail pretty much throughout the whole summer, a three and a half game lead and three in the loss... Looks like a pretty decent cushion, but we all know those teams seem to be equal across the board when it comes to playing each other, and we don't know what the schedule is going to look like coming to September just yet. But with them and also the St. Louis Cardinals, who are now starting to run away with the NL Central, thanks in part to a hot Cardinal team as well as the Brewers, who are starting to fall flat on their face, and they could be out of a wild card spot, although they're floating somewhere out in the ocean looking to see if they could get to a buoy or even some help, maybe with the Coast Guard. But the baseball overall, not looking as if September is going to be a pennant race that we're going to be at the edge of our seat and following on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I talked about this story before. Yes, I don't want this to be regurgitated because you know how I feel about those regurgitated narratives. But I wish I could share more when it comes to this baseball season. I wish I could get into certain angles or maybe even hope to think that a team that's lying in the weeds and there's not too many when it comes to the wild card because if you're going to look at the Giants who are about six, six and a half games back, same for the Red Sox or any of those two teams going to start playing well to the point where as we get to mid and late September, they're going to be part of this wild card race? I don't think so. When we look at these divisions, you can forget about the Dodgers as they are clearly Right now, the best team in baseball, they're showing it, they're proving it, they're flexing their muscles all over the place. So to put them aside, put the Astros aside, put the Yankees aside, other than what's going on between the Mets and Braves and the aforementioned AL Central, I'll give you that because the NL Central looks like it's a formality, I really don't have much. And that's the sad truth. And that's the 
way, unfortunately, I need to start off the baseball segment because it seems like I'm rehashing the same storyline or the same wild card, and I have to do it. Obviously, I want to inform you guys and gals, for those who have not followed what's going on in the AL and NL wild card, as I mentioned, the divisions seem to be pretty much gone for the most part of the season because the Yankees have pretty much went off and hid for the most part, although they came crashing into earth. But now, and I'll start there, now we wonder whether or not the tide will turn in the Bronx and the fortunes for the Yankees from now to the end of the season. Their schedule is a little tricky because they do have a lot of division games left. Obviously, they want to get their sea legs to get some momentum heading into October, riding high because this is going to be a big one for them as constituted with everything, how the season started off for them, getting off to that tremendous start, 52-18, and and then over the last couple of months, it's almost as if they've been a drunken sailor that's either trying to get up, they keep falling into the gutter, maybe they're rolling around in their own vomit, not to be disgusting, but that's how the Yankee season has gone. But considering that Sunday game against Toronto, they avoid getting swept, where Benintendi hits the two-run home in the eighth inning, And then the Subway Series round two begins to where they win those games. The second one, not as pretty if you're a Mets fan. But the Yankees leave the Bronx, sweeping the Mets, giving them some payback for what happened last month at Citi Field. And now with a day off and out in the East Bay to play Oakland for four and then Anaheim for three, you would think that this is going to be the panacea for the pinstripes, for the Bombers, to get their act together to get themselves in position to where maybe they could get some good pitching performances, maybe even bigger than that, they could start hitting in key spots. And when you have two teams that have pretty much been at the bottom of the AL West since the start of June, you would think that the Yankees are going to start to take off here. Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see because this team has been very unpredictable over the course of the last six weeks. And to think, even with this three-game winning streak that they've experienced, they went through a stretch after the All-Star break to where they were 10-20, and 20, now 13-20. and 20. Can you expect them to flick on the switch just like that? The opponents upcoming say so because they have terrible pitching and, again, are just playing out the string being spoiler. But if this isn't going to happen for a Yankee team where they could start building some momentum, building some consistency, some winning baseball, then when is it going to be? When they play the Brewers next month in Milwaukee? When they have to play Tampa at the back end of this road trip, the Red Sox, Orioles, when is it going to begin? So let's see how they fare heading into the weekend out in Oakland. You would think they're going to win minimum three. And if you're a Yankee fan, I think you would take that right now. A split would not be satisfying to say the least. Of course, you hope for a sweep. But with the way they've been playing, that's something that you would like but you can't necessarily expect. So we'll see how the Bombers do coming out of the gate here with this little three-game winning streak, a day off, and how they play here will be important, not only for the team, for their psyche, but obviously the fan base as they try to rally around their team as we head into the month of September. Now, one of those divisions in the NL East is probably the most compelling right now because with the other five divisions being put on ice at the moment, The Mets have to look over their shoulders yet again. Now, I understand that they come off of a string where they played 10 road games, where they had to have a doubleheader in the middle of all that, 
the four in Atlanta, four in Philadelphia with the doubleheader on Saturday, and then the Yankees back-to-back without a day off. And I'm sure they got away from baseball yesterday, regrouped. They didn't play bad in the Bronx. They left a million base runners there, the game on Tuesday night. They definitely had an opportunity to tie the game or even take the lead with Francisco Lindor in the ninth inning, but he flew out. And, of course, you could look at that and say, geez, typical Lindor hasn't come through in the clutch. Yes, he's had a couple of minor big moments, in particular last year with the Subway Series, hitting the three home runs in the game. He's had a good year, and you only hope that he saves whatever big moment that comes in October for them to deliver and come through in the clutch because with that contract and the expectations of that contract – Yes, he has to come through in big regular season games. It would have been nice for him to get a base hit there to just keep the line going and maybe leave it up for Pete Alonso, who in his own right has been struggling, snapping bats over his legs after strikeouts. But we all know that come October, the spotlight is going to be on Lindor to produce and to come up big because when you get paid $341 million, the expectation is very high. But even with what had taken place on the back end of this trip, you have to look at these upcoming games against Colorado, then the Dodgers, and we'll talk more about the Dodgers on Monday. But similar to what the Yankees are going to go through in Oakland where you figure they have to win a minimum of three games, the Mets are going to have to do the same here against Colorado. Not only that, just for their own good, but the Braves are charging yet again. Here's a team that when they left Citi Field, what was it, almost three weeks ago? The Mets had a six-and-a-half game lead, and I didn't think that the division was over by any means because they had those four games in Atlanta last week. But since that time, the Atlanta Braves have lost two games. They are 14-2 and two since they left City Field where the Grom was perfect for five and two-thirds innings, and we thought, maybe not myself, but a lot of Mets fans thought that they were going to cruise to a division title. Here it is now where it's just a game and a half. So they gained five games in a matter of two and a half weeks. The Braves are off today. They go to St. Louis to play the Cardinals for the weekend. And I hope the Cardinals remain hot because maybe they could put some pressure in. The Braves have to come back to earth, you would think. But the Mets just have to continue to play well, win series. They've been doing it pretty much all year long. And it's not a matter of trying to win five, six, seven, eight in a row. Would it be great? Absolutely win series. At this point, if you continue to do that, everything else will fall into place, and they have the Rockies coming in. So you would think, just based on that and the way the Rockies have performed this year, that they should go ahead and win at least three games. Two, I'm not going to say would be a disaster, but it certainly wouldn't look good. So let's see what the Mets will do this weekend as they have the Rockies coming into their building. Now, a couple other things are concerned. This Met bullpen, other than Diaz gives you a stomachache. Joely Rodriguez being the only lefty coming out of that bullpen. You saw what he did the other day. I get it. Pete Alonso misplayed a pop-up, which that should have been McNeil's ball, but I believe there was a shift, so McNeil had no angle or wasn't in the reach of that pop-up. So that extended the inning, and that's what drew the Yankees to get those insurance runs late and win the second part of that Subway Series. But the bullpen... You're going to cross your fingers, cross your eyes, and hold your breath anytime you see Trevor May. Seth Lugo has performed pretty well over the course of his last few games, but we know that this bullpen 
is a walking tightrope. Other than Diaz, and he's going to have his moment too come October. And remember, he's playing for a contract next year, so he could have all the saves, the strikeouts, the narco theme coming out of the bullpen, but if he does not deliver in October, then all that was for naught. But when we look at the bullpen, the struggles of the offense, we all know there's ebbs and flows when it comes to that. The starting pitching, Scherzer did battle through seven innings the other night, but ended up on the losing side. And then I understand Jacob DeGrom is coming off of this injury, and maybe it was a little bit too rich for their blood to have him pitch against the Yankees, but why not? Why are you saving him for Colorado? Why are you giving him that soft landing? Even if he pitched five innings against the Yanks and threw 85 to 90 pressure pitches, don't you want that? Don't you want to have him ready to go for October, even if it is late August? And we understand that it's been seven years since Jacob DeGrom has pitched in the postseason. But why not throw him in there now? He's been out for 13 months. He looks like he's been sound since he's been back. He pitched against the Braves. I just mentioned that. Perfect outing where he was five and two-thirds, where he just mowed everybody down, 17 up, 17 down. Why not pitch against the Yankees there? I just thought it was bad. I felt as if maybe they pushed him to Colorado so they could have him guaranteed for the Dodgers series. But he would have pitched the first game against the Dodgers regardless because his spot in the rotation after Tuesday night would have been next Tuesday and maybe they didn't want to give him seven days. I don't know, but it didn't matter because... They're pretty much giving him seven days if he does start tonight. I don't even know if it's official. So, what's the point here? Why are we doing this? I didn't understand it completely. So, therefore, you have to live with it. But it would have been great to see DeGrom go up against that lineup and how he would have fared. And, of course, we'll never know. And who knows if that's going to be the theme down the stretch to where if the Mets do extend their lead and as you get into... September and deeper toward the end of the month, will we see DeGrom be put on ice here over the course of a start or stretch him out to where he's not going to pitch on his fifth day? Who knows? But after the Dodgers series, they pretty much have the Brewers and the Braves are the only two series of note because after that, they have the Pirates twice. They play the Cubs. They play the Nats a couple of times, the Marlins. So they have the dregs of the National League that they have to play. They also have to go out to Oakland. So those could be three games where they could hopefully put in their back pocket. So we shall see with the Mets as we move along here. And who knows? Could they be out of first place by the time we reconvene on Monday? Only because the Mets are playing the Rockies and the Braves are playing in St. Louis. I would say not. But stranger things have happened. Let's see a week from today when the Dodgers come into town And after the first two games, and I don't know who the Braves play in the middle of next week, but that could be a sign to where first place could be in jeopardy if you're a Met fan. And I will say this before I move on. I think for the team psyche, and thankfully they have a manager in Buck Showalter that will stem the tide, that even if they're out of first place for a day, I'm sure he's going to tell his team, we still have plenty of games to go. The time for us to panic is not now or any point in this baseball season. They're going to make it to October. The Braves currently have a 10.5 game lead in the wildcard race. So the Mets don't have to worry about that. Although they would have to play a wildcard round 
hosting, which I'm sure they want to try to avoid. But with first place on the line and the Braves breathing down their neck, I'm sure he's told his team, don't worry about the Braves. Worry about us, and even if we happen to lose first place, still, put that aside. Don't let that seep into your head. Yes, they've led wire to wire up until this point, and even if they happen to slip and fall out of first, it's not the end of the world. If it was with a first-time manager or a guy that doesn't really know how to take the temperature of his clubhouse, I'd really be concerned. But thanks to the calming influence of Buck Walter, who's been there, done that, I think even if the Mets happen to fall out of first place, they'll be in good shape. Quickly with the wildcard standings, American League, Rays currently have the top spot, tied in the loss with Toronto, but have a half-game lead over them, and a game and a half over Seattle, who has the final spot in the American League wildcard. Now the Orioles, who are two and a half back, and have an interesting series as they'll go to Houston this weekend, but you got to wonder whether or not there may be some separation with the AL wildcard scenario because you have the Twins who are four back, the White Sox who are four back, and of course they still have the division with the Guardians, so at least they have that in play. But who knows? We may just have one team that could be in this race when we start the month of September because with the Twins and White Sox starting to slip a little bit, and the Twins have currently lost five in a row. They're actually in Houston right now where they have not played well. Carlos Correa has made his return. One of the games he was one for four, but hasn't had much of an impact and really has flown under the radar this year because could you even tell me what Carlos Correa has done as far as his stat line goes this year? I know he's been hurt and he's been out of the lineup at times, but the Twins, who knows if this could be the beginning of the end for them. Thankfully, they do have the division to concentrate on, but the AL wildcard scenario looks like it's going to go up in smoke here other than the Orioles and then in the National League we talked about the Brewers how they've slipped big time but they're a game and a half and tied in the loss with San Diego so they do have that because I think the division there's no way they're going to catch up with the Cardinals they do have four games left against them but if they continue to slip and the Cardinals play well you can forget about it I talked about the Braves and where they're at in the wild card but then the Phillies currently have a two-game lead with the fifth wild card spot in the National League over the Padres. So it looks like you're going to have a Brewers-Padres battle to the end for that wild card. Other than that, people, that's what I have there with baseball, just like I mentioned at the top. You may not have a lot of drama, not only in September, but heading into September as we still have a week to go, as we know, here with this baseball pennant race. And a couple other things before I move on. Fernando Tatis issued an apology. I did not watch the actual footage of the interview. I have read the quotes. I guess he came across contrite, very apologetic, just a bad job on his part. I'm sure he had to face the music with his teammates, the organization, etc. I know that the GM was sitting next to him while this press conference took place. All he could hope for is that this is it for him to where he has a lot of downtime to figure out the rest of his Major League Baseball career, and even his life for that matter, because he cannot go to the Dominican and get on motorcycles or ATVs or do any of this stuff that, I get it, a 23-year-old would do, but he understands that he has a huge contract, his whole baseball life ahead of him, he has an obligation to be a face of a franchise because 
even with Manny Machado there and who knows with Juan Soto down the road, Fernando Tatis Jr., to me, is symbolic and a face of a franchise for a guy who hasn't been in the lineup all year long, and that says it all when you think about it because we know how exciting he is. But for him to have that apology, maybe this is the beginning of him not just mending fences with his teammates, organization, even to a certain extent the fans, but more so to himself. So we won't see him until sometime next year. The 2023 Major League Baseball schedule came out yesterday, and all I have to say is that it still hasn't sunken in, and it was released, what, yesterday afternoon? One thing we did know is that they were going to go away from the unbalanced schedule, meaning that you weren't going to see your division opponents 19 times a year. So once that was brought to the forefront, the first thing we thought of is, okay, well, a lot of the other teams in the National League, let's say, for instance, the Dodgers, will they be coming to City Field twice a year, similar to what we saw pre Three divisions, pre-strike to where it was two divisions and obviously no interleague where we may see these teams come not just once a year as they normally do, but twice. Now, I haven't really perused the entire schedule, but one thing for sure is that we're going to be playing every team in the majors, which is so weird. So that means, for instance, the Mets will play the AL Central, the AL West, and of course the AL East, where in the past, yes, the Yankees and the Mets would play their usual four times if they do play the other divisions other than the AL East. When they play the AL East, the Mets would play the Yankees six times, three in their park and three at Yankee Stadium. And I'm just using the Mets as the example. And then whichever division that they would play, they would split it up to where they would play one team, twice in their park and then in the other team's park and then they would have two series against the other two teams in that division to where they would host those teams or be on the road against those teams but now it's just a scattered schedule to where the Mets will not only be in Minnesota and Detroit but they will host the White Sox they will host the Indians and they will also be at Houston Host Seattle and Texas again, which they did this year. I believe they'll go to Oakland. Now, mind you, I didn't peruse this. Yes, they'll go to Oakland in the middle of April. And again, it's just all over the place. And it's actually weird to see the Braves just twice on the schedule where they'll face them at home, meaning that they'll play Atlanta in late April and also... The middle of August. That's it. Those are the only two times that the Atlanta Braves will come to City Field. But you're going to get to see not every other team in your ballpark, but you're going to get to play every team in the majors. Now, let me see where Anaheim falls in. Yes, they actually come to City Field in late August. So based on what I see here, you're going to have three of the AL West teams come to City Field, and they'll go to Oakland and Houston. And then in the AL Central, it looks like White Sox, Indians in their ballpark. And then they go to Detroit, to Kansas City. And that's on top of them going to Boston, going to Baltimore. I believe Toronto comes to City Field. It's just a jumbled mess. So at the moment, I'm not in favor of it. 
is it good that you get to play all the teams? I guess maybe to a certain extent because there isn't a game on the schedule that you can look at and say, well, we're not going to play this team at all this year as we've seen and have experienced as fans in the past. Now you're going to get to play everybody. And I don't think I'm on board with that, at least not right now. Maybe once it sinks in, maybe once I get a better reading of the schedule and look at it and say, oh, hey, maybe I could go to Detroit. Or, hey, maybe I could visit this ballpark that I didn't think I would ever get a chance to visit. Maybe that, but right this second, uh uh-uh. I can't say that I'm on board with this schedule next year. But that's how it is. And who knows if it's just going to be for 2023. Who knows if it's going to be for the next couple of years until they revert and go back to the unbalanced schedule. But at this very moment, I'm not in favor of it. Before I get to Kevin Durant and the Nets, I do want to bring up the NFL for two reasons. One, two weeks from tonight will be the season opener in LA as the Rams will raise a banner to the SoFi Rafters as the Buffalo Bills will come to town to kick off the NFL season. Now, as you well know, I am not focused and haven't really gone through A to Z on what may lie ahead for this NFL season. Of course, now it's time for me to start doing my homework to get involved with over-under numbers, predictions, and all that. And who knows, based on what happened last year, if you recall, I went 6-0 and in my over-unders and also predicted that the Rams would win the Super Bowl, which they did, although the opponent was the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, that wasn't the case. It was the Cincinnati Bengals. So I only bring that up now because... I'm not going to break down next week. Oh, we're a week away from the season. And uh-uh. Going to get ready. Roll up those sleeves. Get to work. Because this NFL season, from the surface, is going to be highly unpredictable. We know what teams could be there at the end of the day. We know who are going to be the top teams that, especially in the NFC, because that is just top-heavy. But the AFC is wide open. But we know who the tough teams could be and maybe the last team standing at the end of the NFL season. But I'm going to go full bore two weeks from today with an NFL preview. So I wanted to share that right off the bat. And that's in two weeks. Number two is if you watched the UFC fight the other night between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, Dana White was on with Rob Gronkowski doing a little bit of a Manning cast or a K-Rod cast as I talked about at the top and for Dana White to share a story that he had with Tom Brady that he was this close to signing to the Las Vegas Raiders during the 2020 free agency period and how John Gruden at that time nixed the deal that he felt as if "Uh uh-uh I'm not bringing Brady here I had my quarterback with Derek Carr And Rob Gronkowski did confirm that Dana White was absolutely correct on that. I didn't bring this up on any of my social media feeds because I wasn't going to buy into the whole story of two years ago. Why would it be relevant today? Why couldn't Dana White come out and say it two years ago? Right before he signed with Tampa. Or even bring it up to Tom Brady then to say, hey, is this something I can release? I'm sure Brady said, "Uh uh-uh. Keep that under wraps. Don't say anything leave it be, and then he brings it out two years later, what's the point? I'm not going to be one to say, ooh, he could have been a Raider? Wow. What would the franchise have done at that time? Could they have gone to a Super Bowl? All these 
different storylines or what ifs, please, complete waste. I didn't really buy into that. Is it true? Of course. Is it a story? To me, it's not. And then to think on top of that, the quote-unquote added pressure for Derek Carr to deliver this team to a Super Bowl or win a championship based on what he heard about Tom Brady possibly supplanting him at that time to be the Raider quarterback, of course Derek Carr is going to say what he's going to say. I don't pay attention to it. Old news. I'm the quarterback of this team. And he's right. So the cast of Tom Brady does not linger over Allegiant Stadium, over their practice facility. Please, why are we even paying any mind to what I think is a non-story? And I just bring it up now only because it was out there and I have to share my thoughts on it. But, ugh. Again, whether you're Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, we understand that it's going to draw headlines. It's going to attract the masses to the soap opera that is the NFL. But, uh uh-uh, they're not getting this guy. So, as an addendum, Baker Mayfield's going to start week one against his former team in Carolina against the Browns. This is an enormous game for him. I think that one game does not make a season, as we all know. But I feel, with him being the starter... He's going to have to play well in order to keep his job. If the Browns sack him nine times and he goes 14 for 31 for no touchdowns and three picks, that's going to be a bad sign for him. That's not to say that Sam Darnold deserves the job or is going to be any better, but I think in order for him in this second chapter of his football life, for him to get off to a good start and it's against the team that obviously traded him away and brought in a new quarterback in the process while he was pretty much off to the side trying to figure out where he's going to go next. If this isn't going to be a game where he's going to lose sleep the week heading into that game, then there's no hope for Baker Mayfield after all. So, obviously, we'll take the temperature of that when the time comes. I talked about this on Monday briefly. Kayvon Thibodeau, the giant number one pick, is going to be out three to four weeks. A lot of people feared he could have been gone for the season. In the postgame, he did say that he was good. But good didn't mean that he was going to come back for week one. It means that he's probably going to come back somewhere week three, week four and take their time with their fifth overall pick. So just thought to throw that in there since I mentioned that on Monday's podcast. And then some sad news, Len Dawson, the one-time Kansas City Chief quarterback, led his team to a Super Bowl four victory. Later on, became a broadcaster all those years at HBO with Nick Bonacani with Inside the NFL. I grew up with that guy watching Inside the NFL For all those years, sadly at the age of 87, and he had been in hospice care over the last 10, 11 days or so before he transitioned yesterday. So thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to Len Dawson, drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. To think, the Steelers had Johnny Unitas and Len Dawson on their teams, and you wonder why they were terrible up until Chuck Noll got there in 1969. That's all you need to know, and Johnny U even more so than... Len Dawson, who was a very good quarterback, Hall of Famer, the whole nine, but Johnny U? Anyway, I digress. Again, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Dawson family. Now let's go to the NBA, and we don't have to wonder or even worry for the 30 net fans that are out there if Kevin Durant is going to get his wish and be shipped out of Brooklyn to a team where he could possibly win an NBA championship. For whatever the reason, when we heard the stories going back to June 30th, where he requested a trade, where there were demands, Sean Marks, Steve Nash, go or I go, 
Joseph Tsai, the owner of the Nets, meeting with Kevin Durant in London. And Kevin Durant stood pat. He said, "Uh uh-uh. This is what I need. This is what I want. I want out of here. To where a few days ago in L.A. they met up. And all of a sudden there was a kumbaya. There was some incense in the air. Drinking some green juice. Having a healthy meal. Who knows? By the beach. Sunshine. Southern California. Whatever it was. Kevin Durant is now on board to move forward with this net team, at least for this year, to where the aspirations, the championship hope for this organization since Durant and Kyrie got here could now be put to the forefront to where the Nets will hopefully have a peaceful upcoming season. But there's the one dynamic that they have to iron out between now and then, if they haven't done so already, is Kyrie Irving. We know he's going into the last year of his contract. We know he's going to, I would think, play as many games possible. I'm sure the shenanigans are going to be put to the side to where he's not going to take time off to go to birthday parties. He's not going to take time off because he feels like he needs to. Hopefully nothing happens in the world to where it affects him so much to where he has to extract himself from his team to kind of regroup. And I get it. He's a different cat. He dances to his own beat. But going into a walk year, which could potentially be his last big payday, there's no way that whether it be in Brooklyn or a future employer that he's going to go into the season thinking that he's going to play 55 games, he's going to come and go when he feels like it. Yes, he'll be ready for game one of the first round in the Eastern Conference, whomever they may play, And he'll be full steam ahead at that point. But he is really rolling the dice if he thinks that he could go into the season thinking that way, feeling that way, etc. And one more time, they were able to hash it out with Kevin Durant, which when you think about it, was much ado about nothing. And I'll cap that off in a second. But for Kyrie's sake and for the organization's sake, they need to have that discussion to where they could light up the incense They could drink the green juice. They could have the healthy salad, the plant-based meal, because I believe Kyrie is still on a plant-based diet, and have a meeting of the minds to where they could sing Kumbaya, they could hug it out, do all the fist bumps, the different handshakes, to where they're all on the same page. Because this thing is not going to work if they were only able to have a meeting with Kevin Durant and not Kyrie Irving. Because to me... Any distraction that comes out of Brooklyn this year, we all know they're going to be at the top of the news cycle if Kyrie even pops a shoelace in practice and walks out of the building. So they're going to have to do that. But going back to Kevin Durant real quick, sadly, this was all a big giant smokescreen. Yes, was he serious and looked like he wanted out of Brooklyn? Absolutely. But knowing that he has... Four years where he hasn't even earned a dime of that new contract extension that he signed going back to last year. A no-trade clause. I don't know if his managing partner, Rich Kleiman, was a part of this whole deal where, Kevin, we got to get out of here. Let's do whatever it takes. Ask for this. Do that. Whatever it was. Obviously, I'm not privy to those discussions, but you have to wonder this tsunami of sorts was this all on Kevin Durant 
Was it a joint thing with he and his manager? And if he was that unhappy or upset or taken aback by what had taken place throughout the course of this season where James Harden was traded, Ben Simmons came north from Philadelphia, him not being in the lineup, not playing at all, the rumors about him playing in the postseason, his back, Kyrie, vaccinations, in and out of the lineup, all of it. And then to think that it come to a point where if he wasn't pleased by everything that had transpired, why didn't he take care of this a few weeks after the Nets were bounced out of the playoffs in the first round? I understand he wanted to take a blow, get away from basketball. We know he's a big NBA fan. I'm sure he was watching the playoffs as he was home or traveling, whatever it may be. But all this, when you think about it, was senseless. This all could have been avoided. And it was dragged out like a soap opera. And nobody had any idea as to what was in Kevin Durant's chest and in between his ears. Trying to even put him up with a team to be traded to that would make sense for both clubs. It seemed as if it was going to be difficult and almost impossible for him to broker a deal out of Brooklyn because there was no way he was going to go to Phoenix because of DeAndre Ayton signing there and not being traded until the middle of January or even he going to Miami because you cannot have two max players on their second deal a la Ben Simmons and Bam Adebayo. So maybe they came to a conclusion that there's no way that we could be traded this offseason so we're going to have to at least deal with it now and then maybe we could revisit this next year. Who knows? Maybe, come to think of it, that was probably the angle that when the dust started to settle between Rich Kleiman and Kevin Durant, that it was best for him to stay there in Brooklyn and then talk to management, talk to the front office, talk to the head coach to say, we're on board, let's move forward, and let's try to bring a championship to Kings County. Sadly for the sports fan and for people like myself who have this platform to speak, This was a complete waste of time. And if you're a Laker fan, how do you feel this morning about a transaction that took place last night? And I know this is small potatoes and it probably went under a lot of people's radar, but the Lakers traded for Pat Beverly. And if you do not know, let's go back to a little revisionist history to the 2013 playoffs when Beverly was a member of the Rockets and Russell Westbrook was an Oklahoma City Thunder to where Beverly dove at the knees of Russell Westbrook to the point where he was out for the rest of the postseason. And since then, there's been a lot of animosity and a lot of bitterness between the two. And We know Russ is probably one of the most highest and ultimate competitors that we've seen in the NBA. And we know that there is no love lost between those two guys. And we've seen throughout sports in any of the sports whether two guys that didn't like each other ended up playing on the same team down the road, and I'm sure they'll be able to put up a couple of handshakes and iron out whatever differences that they may have. But this one, to me, is a stretch for two reasons. One, the dynamic between he and Russell Westbrook, what is that going to be like in the locker room? And that could be combustible, to say the least, even if things are worked out between the two of them. Number one. And number two, yes, he's a fiery competitor in his own right, Beverly. And he's a 
high intensity level, a lot of energy, also a guy that likes to get under the other team's skin. Understood. But is he a good fit to be on this Laker team? Knowing that at any given moment, LeBron is going to have to reel him in, whether it's with his own teammates or him being on the court with other players that he's trying to get in their heads to where he's going to have to grab him by the jersey and pull him away. And you know Beverly's not going to have that, being a tough kid from Chicago in his own right with his upbringing. I didn't like this signing. Now Beverly, he's a good, intangible guy for, and he's never won anything on top of that. I could see if he has a championship or two under his belt where you could say, all right, you could deal with that if you're a team that's looking to get over the hump. And it's not to knock anything what he does. But Beverly, for all of his braggadocio and the chip that he has on his shoulder being that underdog type player and I get it I understand but is he the right fit for a team that's trying to gain some respectability back try to get themselves into a postseason to where they could get back to a final and win the whole thing especially with the way this team is constructed I don't know if Beverly is not just a good fit but any fit for this team based on Westbrook the makeup of this team, the leadership of this team, and to have a guy that could rub others the wrong way, uh, for Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss to even sign off on this, this could be a deal that could blow up in their faces big time. Quickly with the hockey, and I did not discuss this on Monday, so my apologies for those who were probably wondering, as I've talked about over the last few weeks with the Islanders and Nazem Kadri, the one-time Colorado Avalanche player who signed a seven-year deal with the Calgary Flames. And a good deal for them because by them trading for Jonathan Huberdeau and also getting some reinforcements on their team as they try to take it to the next level and go to maybe a conference final this coming season, maybe even a Stanley Cup final. So Kadri is a guy that brings some experience, some leadership, know-how, knows how to win, etc., But the Islanders were part of this rumor mill for so long, and to me it was almost as if they felt that they had to make this deal because they have done absolutely zero in this offseason other than, as I've said before and one last time, fire the coach, Barry Trotz, and also bring in a kid from Montreal defenseman in Romanov. They've done absolutely squat. And Kadri, sadly, was a guy that only became on the on the radar because I'm sure partly the fan base and partly of who was left on the scrap heap, and not to make Kadri out to be a scrap heap type player, but as we all know, a lot of these players were either traded or signed as free agents, and the Islanders were not wheeling and dealing to say the least, so it was almost as if, all right, I guess we have no choice, but let's see what we could do and kick the tires on Kadri, and what happened? Kadri said, I'm tired of the half-stepping. I'm going to go to Calgary. I'll stay out in the Western Conference. I'll try to help a team that may be looking to take it to the next level. And the Islanders could have been that team. But of course, they fell flat on their faces. It makes you wonder, this offseason and this upcoming season could be a long one for this Islander team. Because I don't know what magic Lane Lambert, the new coach, is going to do with this current roster. We don't have a dominant goal scorer we got to see Romanov as a defenseman and he didn't put up big numbers last year you know it's not as if they're bringing in a guy like Dennis Potvin so this front office at least as of right now 
is a big, giant question mark moving forward. And if you're the owners, Mr. Ledecky, you have to look around. You have a new building. You want to bring fans to that building. You have to say, hey, what have we done here? It has not been a fruitful offseason for this Islander team. When you, in essence, trade for one player. And you gave up your first round pick in the process to do so. So, I'll just leave it there. Who knows if that was a smokescreen by trying to bring in Kadri or if there was any interest at all. Who knows, but man, they have had an offseason to forget if you're an Islander fan. That'll wrap it up, people. Another episode almost in the books. And as always, I appreciate you stopping by. I appreciate you taking a chance on me, this little podcast host on this little engine that could. I'm not trying to be self-deprecating here because I am, but slowly but surely, this train will always be on the track and it's always going to go uphill. And I do not take your participation for granted. In fact, speaking of participation, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast only because we want to increase the visibility. Get it out there. Share it with your friends, the sports fans in your life. Post it on social media. Take a screenshot. Send it to me. I'm on all of those platforms. And I'll share those, if you're not familiar, with in a minute. So if you could do that, throw me a few stars, write a review. I would gratefully appreciate it. And speaking of which, if you want to hit me up on social media, you could do so at TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Again, this is a platform that I've had for quite some time. I haven't really flexed this platform's muscle, I need to do so if I want to not only increase that visibility, but also gain the support from you guys and gals, because in turn, you'll have exclusive content come your way about the podcast, about what's going on in sports that you won't get on the podcast, or you may get before I release a podcast, anything and everything that has to do with it, with your contribution, it will go towards the upkeep of the website, this whole production overall, equipment, Etc. Because whether you do or do not know people, this is what I love to do. Sports has been in my blood since day one. It's in my DNA. Ask my wife. Sports is pretty much a mistress in my life and has been for pretty much 53 years of my existence. So whether you do or do not know, whether it's my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiquing, praising, with passion, fire, and fury on anything and everything with what goes on, whether it's the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.